Hello, comedy friends. I'm Mike George. And I'm Masabia Guerre. And today on Comedy Anatomy, we have a rising star in stand-up comedy, TJ. Originally from Haiti and growing up speaking Creole and French, TJ literally learned English watching Comedy Central. As you'll hear in this episode, we talk about how coming from Haiti has given TJ a unique perspective that offers insight into the American experience, from religion to race to everyday idiosyncrasies. TJ is a regular at the Comedy Cellar in New York City, as well as the Gotham Comedy Club. He also performed in numerous festivals around the country. He's an op-ed contributor for the New York Times, and check out his debut comedy special called January 3rd on Amazon Prime. So please enjoy our conversation with TJ. One of the funniest uh, up-and-coming comedians that I've seen, and I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you for coming on Common Anatomy, TJ. Thank you very much for having me. That's that's very high praise. That's always a weird thing to hear, but it's it's nice to hear as well. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, researching you and 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 seeing a bit of your background, I saw an interview. It's from quite a few years ago. I guess you were just starting. Do about, you remember? Do you remember? Uh, talking about uh, how you see comedy as a language, which oh, I yes, thought was yes. so interesting. Yeah, I was uh, two years in when I did that interview. You were two years in. Okay. Yeah. So so to back it up, let's back it up. Mm-hmm. A young TJ in Haiti, yeah. right? What was it like growing up in Haiti? It's uh whew, it's it could not have been any more different than living here, just because it's just day and night in terms of uh the 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 country itself, just the the cultural life and the I'm trying to put this in like precise terms to explain it to you it's I can't remember a year where I did not have to stop going to school just because of political instability almost every single year from since I was a child to until high school graduation every year there's a problem they gotta oust the president there's some riots there's always something going on and you can't go to school for between a week and four weeks I remember the longest was 2003-2004. Uh, you, have you guys ever heard of the name Jean-Bertrand Aristide? Yo, so he was the, the last main, like, democratically elected president. He was a man of the people, but he kind of got drunk on power and committed a couple murders. And that led to the people revolting against him. And it led to a whole movement that lasted about eight months to oust him from the presidency. And I couldn't go to school for eight months. Wow. So there's just a lot of that kind of stuff as a child that you don't know how to process. You're just like, oh, I'm going to school because the country is on lockdown again. That's just what it is. Do you feel, do you feel, is there a lack of stability just growing up like that, that you look back now? You know, strangely enough, the country felt unstable, but as a kid, it kind of felt fine because I I grew up sort of the way Americans romanticize about the 70s or 80s. Like if you, you were a child, it's day, you leave the house with your friends. You go and play until it's dinner time and then you come home barefoot. You were playing soccer, whatever you were doing with your guys, and then you're home and then there's food on the table. So there was that really sweet, childish innocence to it. I consider myself pretty lucky. I I wasn't rich. I wasn't middle class, but I was lucky enough that I was the kid where the other kids in the neighborhood, if they were having a rough day, they could come to my house and we'd all eat together. Right. Right. So you were that house. You were that house that everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone liked your parents. Everyone liked your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like to come over. So were you thinking comedy then or was that not even a blip? Not at all. Not (laughs) at all. Like even as an option, that's not something we have. I didn't have 
images of people doing stand-up comedy in Haiti. Because because from there, like you obviously said, you finished high school and then you came to the is that you came to the U.S. for 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 higher education for college. I went for to college. school in Long Island. Yeah, no, we don't speak English per se in Haiti. We take English classes. So part of preparing for my interview was just because I'm coming here to go to college. So I had to prove some level of proficiency in the language to the person interviewing me at the U.S. consulate. So I just practiced a bunch of English phrases like <laughs> five days in a row. Yeah. That's to be like, this guy knows I'm coming here to study. I'm not trying to screw the system and come here and live in your country illegally. So I just had, and luckily for me, it went well. It went well and they gave me my visa like within three days. And then I, I came here on August 13, 2008. Oh wow. my, so just during the collapse of the entire country. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's when the time to housing crisis. Yeah. Oh my I God! At the end. Oh, at the end. It was nothing for you, though, right? I mean, yeah, you're a kid. You're, well, also, when exactly. you're a kid, exactly. what do you care about the housing crisis? It's at least your burden. <laughs> yeah. So you come over, mm-hmm. and then and then you go to college, and then somewhere in there, you discover comedy. Is that right? That's right. Yes. I I came here college again. I was watching a lot of TV, trying to improve my English. Just get getting myself acclimated to, to the country and the culture and what Americans like, who they are, what they think. So I found Comedy Central at the time and John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, those were the guys anchoring that network at 11, mm-hmm. 11.30. And I would watch wow. those shows all the time. And that was a great education into not only American culture and American mindset and the political system, but also comedians because those guys were first and foremost especially john stewart comedians that's right and you your english was really not because your english now is amazing i mean you thank you 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 didn't speak anything so barely when you got here in 2008 i spoke basic english the kind of stuff it's you know when you meet an american and they're like oh i i've I've, i spoke french i took french for four years right yeah and je m'appelle brian yeah je m'appelle brian jay habit new york that's i live in new york that was that was my english jay beat new york right but so you speak three languages you speak creole right or creole Mm -hmm. is that my it's creole right creole 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 uh French? french English and English. basic Spanish. So you're watching John Stewart. You're seeing all these things. How does a kid from Haiti who's just learning English think, yeah, I got to do that? Well, it wasn't something that, that I planned at all. It was just, you know, sometimes your life takes a turn and you it's circumstances out of your control. Mm-hmm. So basically, I remember watching it and I thought, oh, that's a really cool thing. And I kind of understand who those guys are. And I'd like to be that. Mm-hmm. But it was more of a something that's out there. There was no like I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how I would approach that. I didn't like my parents would never understand something like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea was in the back of my mind. I just needed something. And um, in 2010, we had the massive earthquake in Haiti. And that sent me into a little bit of an existential crisis. And I came out of that crisis with the understanding that life is fleeting. It's short. You should do what you actually want to do before it's over. And that's when I was like, you know what? I actually really want to be a comedian. That's a great reason. So did you lose, did your family, was there, and you don't have to get too personal, but Mm -hmm. was there tragedy within people, you know, from the earthquake? There was tragedy from uh, a lot of, uh, 
remove cousins. My immediate family was okay, luckily. But uh, the, the closest to me personally was uh, my favorite teacher in high school. The building where my school was crumbled and he died there. Inside. Oh, inside. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that really made you realize. Yeah. Like, what's the point of a... Because, uh, like, initially I wanted to come here, be an immigrant, do the job with the suit and send money back home which is the typical thing you do engineer that's doctor. right the yeah. things to, that your parents be an accountant rag, exactly rag be a lawyer that. a doctor yeah. my yeah. son's a doctor right that's yeah. right <laughs> which is some of your material which is funny when you talk about that yeah 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 i love it yeah so that was a seat. like uh, i don't i don't have to do this you don't that must have been, and it's different, uh, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but different for you talking to your parents about this than say someone who's an American saying, oh, you know what, mom and dad, I want to be a, a stand-up. It's probably much more serious um, oh, definitely. for you. You want to know how serious it was? I do. My mom did not speak to me for three months after she found out I wanted to be a comedian. That's They that's were that crazy. upset. Yes. Yeah. Three whole months. What was the, what was their motivation? Was it fear for you? I mean, you know, going into this world, was it unstable? Send, like you said, sending money back. Was that a sort of, a right. of okay. it's, it's not a path to know of yeah. in their world. How do you even make money doing this? What is this entertainment? What is that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was some of that, but there was also, uh, you took away our dream for you, which is you should have been a doctor or something else. How dare you? do something for yourself. You're supposed to do it for us. Right. It's a, it's a clash of mindsets. That is that a part of the Haitian culture? 100%. It's, it's very much you put the family first. And there's a, there's a thing that I noticed in Haiti, and I'm sure it's the same in most third world slash poor countries. What the people do, like you'll see a lot of poor people have a lot of kids with the hopes that one of them will become a doctor when they and save the whole family. So like you're supposed to do something for the family. And I think for me, I, I was pretty good in school. So they had those hopes like, oh, he's, he's ahead of class. So he'll definitely gonna be a doctor. But that's a lot of pressure, I, right? That's oh, a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, I would say that. it was very hard, but again, I guess you gotta be courageous to do hard things, I suppose. Absolutely. I mean, and then from there, you, uh, from that moment in time, where did you run upon a comedy club or decide to start doing comedy? Like what club did you hit first? I lived in Utah for a little bit, which is where I sort of finally made the decision. And I started writing little jokes out there and I had five minutes of jokes that I, I, I prepped and like just told to myself in front of a mirror. Just mm-hmm. to get some confidence, yeah. go and memorize them. And then I got to New York because I knew I had to start in New York. Why Utah? Why were you in Utah? I was there because of a job. But after I dropped out of college, after the earthquake, the earthquake led to me dropping out of college, which led to, to me being a comedian. So I dropped out and I got that job where I was working in wilderness therapy. So you, yeah. you didn't become a Mormon, say? No, no, no. <laughs> wilderness, wilderness therapy? Yeah, what is wilderness? Yes. Rehabilitating parks, that kind of thing, where you they corner off a section oh. of woods and say it's being rehabilitated. Don't step in here. You ever seen that? Is that that kind of thing? That would have been a much easier job if that's what it was. <laughs> Tape <laughs> off certain areas. It was wilderness. It was therapy in the wilderness. So basically I was, I think the average person knows it as survival camp. So that's oh. when 
children of rich parents who fuck up their lives get sent to a program in the wilderness so they can become better people. And you were and I what, was account, one of the counselor? instructors at those programs. You were an instructor. Okay. Yeah. I see. So that's, that's interesting. All oh, this is great fodder for comedy though. Just understanding people and understanding humanity and applying 100%, it to comedy. 100%. So it just gives you a solid base to come from because you're like, oh, I've not only people, but just also different parts of America. Because I, I spent the first two years in Long Island, and now here I am in Utah. It's a whole different kind of white people, but not just white people, but Mormons and just very yes, super white. It's like yes. white people squared, like just white on like times white. <laughs> You're in Mormon. Yeah, and then I'd have kids ask me weird questions, like the kids I would work with. Like, so how how are you here is the internet in haiti like what's going on they just think it's a foreign world so oh, it's just very interesting to see how they saw it so i kind of see how that kind of subset of america saw the rest of the world it so from there you moved you from utah you went to new york i came and, back to new york yes and and, and that's where you started and i came back to new york and I had my five minutes of jokes and I went to an open mic. My first open mic was at this place called Lucky Jacks. It's on the Lower East Side. On, yeah. on a Tuesday, this guy, Hector Lewis, used to host the mic. You pay $5 and you go and you do five minutes. Yeah. How nervous were you before you got up? I was I was pretty nervous, but I, I chugged two beers to kind of quell the nerves. <laughs> got to get some liquid courage. I chugged the beers and then I, I got on and... I did okay. I did not crush, but I didn't bum either. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And you're also performing for other open micers, right? Exactly. Because I mean, I you're never going to crush in front of, I mean, maybe if you are successful now at your, at the level you're at, you go to an open, okay. But no one, they're not there to laugh at you. They're there to try no, their own material. No, the only time you crush at an open mic is when you're just doing jokes for like your group of comedian friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're inside, inside jokes. jokes. Exactly. exactly. They don't care about your material. No, they don't. And then the other, uh, what kind of support system did you have at that point in comedy? Did you have, uh, was anyone got your back or were you pretty much flying solo? I was flying solo. Because your parents weren't exactly supportive with it. No, they weren't. Then So uh, you had nobody? No, like it was, I had comics that I became friends with, but other than that, family was not really interested into it. They didn't get what I was doing. Right. So I became friends with some comedians and they mm -hmm. were like, they liked what I was doing. So that was my initial support system. And then eventually I became friends with people outside of comedy. Right. But with some appreciation for show business and the difficult path that it is, who mm -hmm. became really cool with me and really supportive of what I was doing. And I, I would say that, too, between that time and you said 2010 or that time and now, that's usually the time comics become so seasoned, too, after a certain amount of time. It's like this time period of. So, yeah, because you've been out of 10 years now, right? From the. Or was it not? Were you not out of that? Nine years now. But nine yeah, years. We're, we're, we're going on 10. Yeah. Going on yeah. 10. And did you stop in between at any point or have you been going solid? No, never stopped. Yeah. You just that open mic, I was like, that's what I like. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to hit the ground running. Well, I'm sure that, you have to do little things in between that, right? I mean, like, I know a lot of comedians we do talk to sometimes have to take a day job. They have to, and you know, do other things just to supplement and stay, you know, above water and do comedy at the same time. Did you have to do those things or? Oh, absolutely. What were you doing? I was in this weird position where I'm doing something my parents don't want to do. And I'm in this country 
with no real support system. So I can't really ask them for money right? while I chase this dream that they don't give a fuck about. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get all those jobs. I was a bike messenger for a bit. I, I worked at a real estate company for this insane broker who would just do shitty deals with people. And then he had people chasing him and I was the li- last line of connection. Oh, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you love that. But you know- <laughs> it was so fucking stressful. <laughs> Like you talk uh, to them, they're at the door and you talk to them and you're like, no parlay anglais. Like, yeah, so there was a lot of those little weird jobs. And then the, the job that became the most stable for me, I was very good at, uh, I'm very handy. Oh, okay. That's so a good I would, skill. I started doing that. I would mount TVs on walls for people. I would assemble furniture. I, w- I would just put up art. I would just fix doors and fix whatever people needed. That's how I made some I find some stability within that because the schedule was mine. I was using this app called TaskRabbit. Called what? I don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of like TaskRabbit. It's like oh, Task Uber Rabbit. for yeah. It's like Uber for handyman. That's what was really good. Wow. It allowed me to. I would do that from say nine until three or four, and then I would just start doing open mics. So that's perfect for someone like you, these tasks, because we, it you know, perfect. we're a little, we're a little older than you. We didn't have that shit. You just had to get a shitty ass job. So that's great. You yeah. had that. <laughs> yeah. You just I, had I that. escaped the waiter. I never got to be a waiter. I, I did not get to that part. No. When did you, you start? It seemed like you were on a mission though. You had your. There, there were moments of doubts, but I knew that I chose this and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it to the fullest extent and see what happens. So he, I'm, I'm interested to hear about your motivations for why. So it's, you know, it is show business, right? So a lot of people want to do it because they want, um, you know, fame, money, all that stuff, which is a part of it, which is great. Yeah. And that, but how much of is that compared to say craft? You know, you even talked about it, like I mentioned earlier, this was like a language to you. How much was it about you learning the craft compared to success? Like fame and fortune is something that almost every human being wants, but if fame and fortune is all you want, you're going to be a miserable person. 100%. Yeah. So there has to be the love of the thing. And to me, that's, that's a huge part of it. I just loved it as a craft and sort of what I mentioned in that interview, the language part of it is very, uh, it it resonates with me because I speak a few languages Mm -hmm. and I understand that how you move, uh, like it's it's all communication to me art is communication i have something in my head that i want to communicate with people which is what you do with a language and i think that's what comedy is yes and when oh. you communicate it a different type of laughter will mean a different thing like oh the way they laugh they agree with this the way they laugh they get this but they don't fully agree with this the way they laugh oh they recognize this in themselves there's a laughter of recognition there's a laughter of oh fuck did you just say this there's all types of those things and it's just fun as a craft to be going through that to be like oh i'm communicating with these people and some of them get it some of them don't but it's really fun to see what happens that's really insightful to see it almost as a conversation using their laughter as their response i mean of course laughter is a response but it's not just laughter as laughter it's saying something within the laughter i've never i've never uh it's so true i understand exactly what you mean but i've never heard it put that way that's really that's very interesting man when did you you got your book from too as well i mean the uh concept uh what is it uh know the path is that oh yeah yeah knowing the path that's right yes i mean it seems like yeah (laughs) 
Ah, you do you did do your research, huh? That's very few people who know about this. <laughs> Why do you talk Sometimes about it? I became a comedian. I kind of didn't talk about it anymore, but I did write a book. Like when I first when I dropped out of college, that was the first endeavor I did before I became fully a comedian. I was like, just to prove to myself that I can understand and ex express myself in this new language, let me write a book in English, and that's what I did, and that sort of opened up. A pathway, kind of give me more confidence that I can communicate in this language. That's amazing. Your way. That's amazing that you thought. Isn't that amazing? It's like I'm going to learn the language better. So what better thing to do than write a book? That's a big undertaking, man. That's amazing. I mean, well, when when I watch your comedy, I uh, for, when for the first time at the cellar, I I just saw something outstanding. You know, because I've I've been watching. I've been around comedy for. God knows how long, 25 Thank years. Thank you, man. I appreciate Management. it. And so, and, and I, I watch tons and tons of comedians, but when a comedian makes you feel a certain way, and mm -hmm. one of your biggest topics was God. You know, yes. I've been arguing with my brother about God. He questions God. And your joke actually really put perspective. It just gave me a whole different perspective. And I Thanks. just thought it was brilliant the way you phrased it and the way you put it into just context, man. It was amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And that's that's one of the best things somebody like me could hear because it is a conversation that I'm trying to have. And it turns out that night you were the person that I was having that conversation with. Yes. You know, when it comes to God and and people in general, but let's say in America, black people per se, there's there's a very interesting thing that goes on there because black people love God yes. but for someone like me it's just like I don't understand how we love God so much yet we're the ones that are struggling the most right and we mm. pray to him and so what what is what is God about is that a real thing or is that something we just need to hold on to because we're struggling right yes. and right. how you equated that with Harriet Tubman too I thought that was you know <laughs> well, it, well what's what's really so, what's yeah and, you're, and what's so interesting is your view is your view on race in America unique because you're not you're not born here. So you can come in from a perspective that might be different seeing looking at America and race than had you been born here. Do you think there's a factor in coming from Haiti that uh, gives you a different perspective on race in America? 100%. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I used to do a joke about this where it's like, for me, uh, I'm trying to remember that joke. It's kind of out of the rotation now. But the joke was the difference for me is like, as a Haitian, I grew up around Black people. But Black people in America, it's almost like you grew up in the same house with the uncle that molested you. There, I don't want you to think you're the creepy uncle, bro. You're Canadian, all right? You're all right. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, but I, I totally understand your point. Um, and I, I think that's, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about, how you would see this country differently. It's Other very, than maybe South Africa, I don't think there's a country in the world that has the race right. issue like America. Absolutely. Like America does, yeah. yeah. Do you see yourself too, TJ, as a political comic or uh, uh, observationist how do you how do you view yourself as a comic you know that's that's always one of those things that i struggle with uh when people ask me to describe which kind of comedy i do or what type like of comedian i see it's to me it's just i do what i do and it's for other people to describe it i don't spend too much time thinking about it i don't i think that's a great i think you don't need to box yourself in 
I, I agree yeah, with, like I, I agree some, with that. Some nights I want to do a joke about diarrhea. Some nights I want to do a dick joke. And some days I want to talk about God. So it's all part of it. When you started too, TJ, were there particular comics that you sort of migrated to where you wanted to do their style or their style really stuck out to you where you, you know, move in that direction? Yeah, who did you imitate? Who did you imitate? Everyone imitates somebody. Who did you go? Who did you try their rhythm? Right. Okay, so before I started, I remember Cat Williams was really hot. Mm. 2008, 2009, the, the Pimp Chronicles and the, the green yes. suit, all of that. I remember watching this. I was like, this is great, but this is not me at all. I could never do this. <laughs> not many could. <laughs> <laughs> and then I discovered George Carlin. And I was like, that's more my speed. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Playing with language, playing with words. That's right. That's right. Because that guy plays with language well oh, and is very he's challenging up there. He's talking about stuff that, you know, might upset people. He's the social commentary, the conventions that we have. He'll just shitting all over all of them. And I'm like, I like that. Yeah. And I uh, know Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock and Louis Sique was also a big influence. What do you think about cancel culture? Like being on the thin line as a comic, if you say the wrong thing things could just turn left. I, I really hate it <clears throat> just because we, we're creating a culture of false safety where people are just not real anymore. And this is one of the few jobs where you get to be real. And yeah. even this job, the kind of coming for us and removing our ability to be real. Because if you think about it, comedy is, is it's supposed to be transgressive by nature. It's that mm -hmm. kind of job where I don't want to go see a comedian and he's saying things that my coworker could say. Are you all over the place? What are you doing now? I, I tour a little bit. I'm not at the point where I can tour full time just because I'm not a draw yet. But I do like small little tours. I go around the country. I've been in Texas recently. I've, I'm going to Wisconsin next month. So I go around, but I'm, I am a full-time comedian, which is, that was such a dream come true. And I work at the cellar all the time. I'm at Gotham County. I work all over the city. So I'm doing fine in terms of working. Right. Now, I, I'm kind of concerned because of the business, what the business has become and the kind of comedian that I am. It probably will take longer to like get through to the industry because the industry now is focused on what they think will sell, which is safer stuff. Can I say something though? As a person yes. that's been around, I, I think you are wrong. Oh, and, okay. And, I would love to be actually. And, and I would, I, I think you are wrong. I think it's going to be faster than you think. Um, okay. And, and I, and, and I'm going to tell you it's, it's, uh, it's what I saw the first time. Um, it's resonating. It's a fresh voice. It's inspirational. Um, people need it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'll take that. Well, the most important thing, as you know, is you developing your voice. So, yeah, you can't. If you said, "Well, I'm going to be safer to try and get more work," that that's not going to that's not going to help you. Yeah, you're fucking yourself over. You're not you going to be able to no. look at yourself in the mirror. Well, because then they're also going to go. Well, now it's changed again. So you got to change again. And, and oh, now you're almost, you get some agent or manager telling you, 
never swear, do this, wear this hat, put these pants on. You know what I mean? It's for your, it's not you anymore. And then it's just, it's just nothing. Basically it becomes nothing. It becomes a one dimensional uh, performance, which offers nobody anything. So all you can do is exactly what you're doing. And I agree with Mo that it's, it's so hard to find someone with a strong voice that I think if your voice is, really your own it's undeniable that you'll cut and a fresh voice and you're young too um and i mean and you're right too yeah i mean when i was coming up with a lot of the comics were very great stand-ups but they didn't write yes you, know? you have to write i had to realize early on which is okay stand-up is great but stand-up is stand-up is the love of my life but i also realize it's the least respected part of show business we're very yes. useful like we're great at what we do and really we should host everything. All the award ceremonies should be hosted by stand-up comedian, just because that's what we do. But nobody cares about it unless you can also write a TV show or you could bring something else to the table. So I realized, okay, then that's a skill that I need to acquire also. I need to be able to write a pilot. I need to be able to write a treatment. I need to be able to write a monologue for somebody. So all of that is is just, you know, wise decisions you're making, understanding the nature of the business. But you also... You're absolutely right. But even just in the craft of standup, you don't want to be doing the same 10 minutes five years later. That's right. How often are you writing standup? I don't know if there's a time stamp I would put on it, but I, I always have a goal that every two years I should have a full hour. And have you been doing that? Do you feel like you have that? You've been, yeah, you've been- yeah, I feel like I've been staying on track pretty good at it. And because, you know, you when you when you're around the standup comedy scene, you kind of you have all the people before you as teachers. Mm -hmm. You look at what they're doing and you look at what they're not doing. You look at who's this guy who's super talented, but has been doing 15 minutes for five, six, seven years. And you're like, oh, that's a problem because I love you and I respect you, but I also feel like you got stuck. Yes. You don't want to be somebody who gets stuck. Now, did you direct your, your shorts, your film shorts? I did direct them. It was oh, sort of man. like me going to film class. <laughs> Look at that, man. What did you do? I have a four episode web series. Yes. And, and you wrote it and directed it. I wrote it, directed and acted in. And started yeah. it. I just had this question, but as far as how do you see management, agents, and all of those things? It's a weird relationship with them because it's hard to find good ones. Mm-hmm. I actually got rid of an agent during the pandemic just because... We just were not on the same page. And I've, I'm on my second manager. I had one that she was great at presentation, but she was a, a control freak and she wanted to do things very, uh, I'll give you an example. She, and she's a nice person, but I remember when I first started, she was like, I need you to take an accent reduction class because, you know, I need you to sound more American. I was like, I think that's bullshit because I am who I am. And that's wow. part of why I am an interesting yes. comedian. Yes. So yes. I, I disagreed with her. And then I remember a couple weeks after that, I had a show and, you know, I did well on it. And then some industry person came up there and was like, oh, the Haitian guy with the accent was really funny. That's when she realized, oh, maybe you do have a point. <laughs> well, that's what, exactly. The person had to confirm it for her, for her to realize I was right. Well, that goes back to what we were saying before of, uh, okay, we got to change you. We got to, you know, with your voice, uh, maybe you could not swear. Don't talk about God. Uh, yeah. Do more diarrhea jokes. Cause I think when we can get a meeting, it's like, it's, it's, it's chasing your tail. It's a waste right. of time. 
So I think I do. You seem very uh, aware of who you are. It you can hurt you actually if you pop too early, just because you don't know yes. who you are yet. And you don't then- have a voice. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you believe, but I'll tell you, even as you evolve into your forties, you start to really go, which maybe you're already at, what really matters? Is it about the money? Is it about the car? Is it about the house? Is it about being recognized? Because you, you, you see that that shit doesn't do it either. Like that shit's not going to make you, there's no Shangri-La where that's, it's great. It's not that it's not good. It's, it's not that you don't want it. It's just, that's not it you got to get it your way which is what it sounds like you're doing sorry that was a bit of a yeah, little yeah. speech that there. was a long that was a long lecture mike but it was a lecture i just literally <laughs> lectured tj who the last thing he needed listen a he's a director he has to communicate with his oh, he does. that's what he does really he does yeah. <laughs> what what do you want for yourself do you, do you think of the future or are you just keeping your nose down do you know where you want to go I, I i do a little bit of both like you, you want to focus on what you're doing and enjoying the moment, but you also want to have plans for where you want to be. Yes. I, I want to do stand up and tour the world. And then I have a couple pilots that I'm, you know, working on and giving to like pitch to people, see what I would like to have a TV show. I definitely have a couple ideas for TV shows that I think would be great. And I want to do stand up. Yeah, man. I, the other night, I got really emotional because I was at the cellar and, you know, I finished my set and, you know, I was hanging out, having a drink. And I remember Greer Barnes came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I just, do you know how funny you are? <laughs> yes. And he was like, listen, if I die tomorrow, I'll know that you and a bunch of these guys have got it. You guys are the future of comedy. And it like, oh, I got close to crying because I have so much respect for Greer Barnes. Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. So to have him just say that to you is like, oh, fuck, I guess people are paying attention. Some people get it. Some people care about this. They see that you're doing something that is connecting. And it's it's nice to see. It's nice to hear. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate yeah. you doing this today, um, taking the time today, man. Is there anything coming up that we can tell to our audience? There's just club dates at the cellar. But the other stuff that I have, I... I cannot announce them yet just because i don't know sure. what's gonna happen so sure all right yeah. man well thank you so much for uh hanging thank out with us today man for sharing with us and, and hanging out giving us that love brother yeah thanks thank man. you for having me and thanks mo because mo saw me and he approached me at this and asked me to do this and i was very honored so thank you all for having me thank you for recognizing something in there and i really appreciate that yes all right man all right tj <laughs> thanks man all right bye. see you later see you later bye Okay, Mo, let them know how they can support us. Make sure to subscribe to Comedy Anatomy and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Comedy Anatomy and on Twitter at Comedy underscore Anatomy.